you're a founder building a company, you're going to eventually have to start hiring executives to help you scale. The people you bring into your leadership team can make or break your startup. I'm Nigel Robinson with Build Talent, and in each episode, we'll be speaking with a founder or expert as we discuss the art and science of hiring leaders, why it matters, and how you can keep up. Welcome to the Gradients Podcast. Welcome to the Gradients Podcast. We're here with Adrian, the co-founder of Streamlit, CEO of Streamlit, who is pioneering the next generation of tools for data scientists. Before this, how do you say your last name, by the way, so I make sure I'm saying it right? Oh, yeah. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. It's an honor. I'm really excited for this conversation. And my last name is pronounced Troy, T-R-O-Y. Troy, okay. I would not have guessed that. I'm glad I asked. Yeah. (laughs) But Dr. Troy, I learned also your your PhD has been a VP at Zooks. You were a Google X project lead, professor at CMU. You've given talks around the world, including to the President's Council of Advisors on Science and Technology, numerous awards. And I think what is interesting and where we'll start is you had this idea of you only leave the thing you're doing when you realize you're not going to be good at it or when it's something cooler waiting. Yeah. And it was something cooler that you could be working on. And I know you were working on Streamlit for at least a year before you were launching. And so just tell us a little bit to start about kind of what was going on in your life at the time that you conceived of the idea of Streamlit. Yeah. So I had basically quit my job. And so that in and of itself was a revelation because obviously not everyone can afford to quit their job. I was lucky enough that I'd, I'd worked at Google for a couple of years and like I, they didn't have that many expenses. And so I was just making more than I could spend. Like, but even then, I think that there's an analogy maybe, which is like, even then, I, like, it never occurred to me that you could. It really didn't. I just like, thought like, when you have a life, you have a job. And then when you have a job, you like, go to it. And then you do that. And then you retire. And it, it wasn't like, it was like not a question at all. And then I went through a very like deep depression and was really felt as though, and I'm talking about when I was in my previous job and I just felt like what, just a sort of crisis of identity, perhaps like, what am I doing here? And what's my goal? What's my game? And I had this, I started like meditating and I just sort of like realized, oh my God, like you can quit your job. I can quit my job because I have a little bit of money set aside. And so that was just like crazy. I just remember like, I literally like walked into work like, like, I don't care because I could quit. Like I can't work for the rest. I mean, I can't quit for the rest of my life, but I can take a little bit of time off. You know what I mean? I'm not going to starve. So everything about work changed at that point. Like it was super chill. And then finally I was like, Hey guys, I quit. And I just had nothing to do. I mean, and which was great, really. I mean, it was really, really great. And I got to finally just play around again, instead of it just being like, compress as much action as possible into every microsecond and then count the number of days. Yeah, productivity, 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 like, you know, and it's just like, which is like the opposite of play, basically. And so I was doing a bunch of things, literally not having a goal of creating any kind of money off them. And Streamlit is one of those things. It was like, I can tell the whole backstory about how I got to that specific technology. It's kind of fun. It involves like a cabin in the woods and hanging with my friend. But on some level, it was... I was playing around with cool stuff and this was a fun thing and it was not meant to be a business at all. And I just thought it was neat. And then it started to snowball to where other people were using it. And then other people were interested in helping me build it. 
And then investors were interested in putting money in. And it just kind of like snowballed, snowballed, snowballed until now Streamlit is in use in all but two countries in the world and over half the Fortune 50. It's Streamlit apps are going to be viewed over a million times this quarter, tens of thousands of active developers. So it's like, and including us huge companies and like a massive community of people who are contributing ideas and plugins and writing books about Streamlit, like this Facebook data scientist wow. wrote a book about Streamlit. And like, you know, that's just sort of like, it's become this, it's basically become a living organism actually, and an ecosystem, you know, to overuse that word. And, and that didn't feel as though... That's what it was. It was just play. That's how it started. I love that, that it kind of snowballed and grew a life of its own until the ecosystem, the community was basically demanding you to take it more seriously, almost like... Uh... Well, yeah, actually, I want to, I will flip that around a little bit just because I think that would be the true fairy tale story. It wasn't quite that magical and that easy. And I just don't, wouldn't want to give the wrong impression to anyone who's like, basically what happened was a very small number of people were using it. And already we were thinking like, mm, there could be a business here if you squint. And so that's when we got a little bit of funding. And that's when we started like really going full time on this. And that's when we built the community. So it wasn't just chicken, 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 egg, 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 egg. Or it was sure, chicken, sure. egg, chicken, egg, chicken, egg. Like everything was in like a little cycle of like sure. more and more. Yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned that when you first started that you were kind of playing around within a group of friends. It's one thing when you kind of have the undertaking of like, all right, I'm going to go out and I'm going to build this thing. How did you recruit your co-founder? What was that process like uh, of yeah, bringing the people, yeah, yeah. kind of that core group? Well, so for one thing, my first co-founder, Tiago, was just like, this is cool. And I think we were thinking like it could be a business. We were talking about that and stuff. But also he just wanted to work on it. And the cool thing about like fun projects is that like people like call you up on Saturday night and be like, I was thinking about this thing, like blah, 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 blah. You know, whereas if this was like, hey, I have an idea for how to make money. Like, I don't know. There's a way in which it really, we weren't looking at it as a job. (laughs) That's just the truth. And so that meant that it had its own kind of like elan, like nights and weekends and stuff. He was working at Google at the time. So eventually he was just bought in enough and had contributed like so much that it was obvious, like if this was going to be a business, like he was going to start it with me, you know? But the problem was that we were both big computer nerds and like dreamers and like we needed to have like someone who knew like something about business involved in this. And so we had both worked with this woman at Google named Amanda, who was just so kind of like, she was just like a genius, like she could take a bunch of like cats and like teach them ballet in like 15 minutes. And then you'd have like a working circus, you know, she had this like just incredible skill. And so we were just like, Amanda, we need you to build this business with us. And she actually turned us down as she, for, she was pregnant. And then eventually she had a baby <laughs> as those things go. And then she was like, all right, now I'm interested. <laughs> so that's how it happened. Yeah, that's how it happened. So we got her involved and then we were off to the races. Wow. So now it didn't sound like it was a lot of selling. It was like, to uh, you and, and Tiago just having a lot of fun and then kind of timing just played out right with Amanda. Yeah, a lot of it was timing. I mean, all of this stuff is timing, actually. Right, yeah. Which is another way of saying it's all luck because it really is because so many little things could have been different that certainly would have led to a different outcome. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and even a different co-founder because I was thinking, you know, after you have this kind of small troop of people, you have your core team and now you're at the stage and thinking like, okay, we're going to build a business. So inevitably, we're going to have to bring in more people to work on this kind of thing. 
What was important to y'all about those early hires and how did you think about, yeah, whether culturally or technically kind of how were you surrounding yourself to make this thing real? Yeah. So I think, how did we think about the early hires? Certainly we interviewed people. Once we had a little bit of seed funding, like we could offer a salary, right? It it wasn't necessarily going to last forever, but it was going to be a salary. So, you know, at that point you start to, we went through networks and stuff, but I think that and our own networks, I mean, and, and eventually as we got bigger, we tried to go through recruiters and stuff. But I think a big part of this stuff is that all this stuff is just like being really genuine and being really genuinely excited. And I think that the cool thing about that is that it basically takes, it brings you to your people. And I feel like that's something to me that's happened like again and again in life. And it's just so easy to forget where like, if as soon as you like start playing like someone else's game, then all of a sudden like your life is basically consumed being like, how do I measure up to this? Whereas like if you're just out there playing your own weird game, like whatever the hell it is. And in our case, it was making this weird thing called Streamlit. Like the world just starts to rearrange itself around you to like the people who are closer to you are those who think that Streamlit's cool. The people who are further from you, like don't think it's cool. And all of a sudden, like you start, you like wake up in this heaven surrounded by people who like all think that what you're doing is cool just because you were just so adamant that this is what you were going to do and it was going to be cool. And so I feel like the early hiring had a little bit that flavor of like, I mean, literally like we, I think I just like saw someone talking to, and the very first days I saw someone talking about something that was like kind of related to like data science in a cafe. And I was just like, hey, check out this stream thing I'm working on literally pre-COVID, you know? I was like, check this thing out on my laptop. It's like, oh, that's pretty cool. And like, I somehow... A couple of weeks later, he was like writing code for the project. Wow. So it's like, that was just a perfect example of being who you want to be. And then, and then letting the world kind of sort itself out around you to be, to compliment. I totally agree with that. I always say your vibe attracts your tribe. Like you got to put out the beacon as authentically and as honestly as you can. That's good. Yeah. And I think, uh, yeah, whether it's in life and business. So you're getting this core team and it, it sounds like at first it's like, it's vibe check. It's like people that are genuinely interested in what you're doing. And people kind of getting in where they can fit in as far as how they're able to help. At what point in the development of the company do you think we have to start hiring our first executive? Like what's happening uh, yeah. in either, either from a product standpoint or an organizational standpoint, like what is happening at that moment where you're like, oh, we have to go hire this person? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I would say that it's a funny thing, but I would not ask my advice on this, or rather I would certainly not do what we did, <laughs> which is... I think we took the wrong perspective, which is like, we are the cooks in the kitchen and we are going to train all the sous chefs and then they're just going to go and become great. And then we're going to cook even bigger dishes or whatever. And so I think we had a slightly like anti-executive perspective, at least I did. And maybe I think I was behind the curve a little bit on this for a while. And it was really, our, I totally ignored our investors who basically have invested in huge, amazing companies from the very beginning. And we're just kind of telling us over and over again, like, hey, You guys, like, it's kind of cool how it's like three of you in the back of the kitchen, like cooking a pasta, but like you need to put, you need to bring like some heavier ingredients. And so it's only in the past, I would say, well, we realized we needed a vice president of engineering. And so we got a great executive search firm, which was Build Talent. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And we asked a bunch of really good questions or they, they prompted us to ask a bunch of really good questions. And it actually was really, it was a really cool process because it felt like, oh, wow, like our ducks are in a row. Like by the end of even like the question process, I was like, oh, yeah, 
this would be awesome. Like this thing that we are describing is a hundred percent something that we need and we should get this as fast as possible. And that also, that process, like, I mean, not to be an advertisement here, but like it brought like a ton of clarity to the search. because it was super easy to be like, nope, 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 nope. Why? Because we have a document that literally tells us exactly what it needs to be. And so, and then we got this amazing person, John Rose, who he was the head of platform engineering at Heroku, which is very, very closely related to what we're doing. In some ways, we're like the data science version of Heroku. And so he brought a ton of just like completely instinctive, correct, like ideas where we were figuring it out. And then it's just turned out to be like the best hire ever. And I do want to get into kind of how it ripples out too, because when the executive comes in, there's obviously a splash and anytime you're bringing in another leader. But I guess to pause for a second on like, you mentioned your investors were kind of like, hey, you should do this thing. You should do this thing. How long is that gap between the investors kind of sounding the alarm and your engagement with us? Like, and, and maybe what were they seeing that prompted that response? Well, way too long, as it turns out. I mean, the thing about investors is that they're actually like really smart and they see a lot. I think there's a lot of, among some entrepreneurs, there's like a little bit of theory that like investors are there just to like convince to give you money, basically. And then hopefully to try to ignore and get out of the way because they're just going to mess everything up. And you hear all these stories about like, they made us grow too fast. They made us pivot. They made us, they fired the CEO. They did this, they did that. I guess to me, it's like the opposite. It's like everything we messed up is because we didn't listen to our investors. Now, sometimes the investors don't agree with one another. And that's really interesting. And ultimately you do like they and you know that you have to make the decision and there could not be any other way that could work. And that's in a way, yes, obviously it comes to what we think is right. But they were right about a lot of things and in particular about hiring executives. And so now we're actually, we've hired a head of marketing who's amazing. We're hiring a head of sales. We've hired a head of data and we're doing a bunch of VP level searches. And I think I understand it much better because we've gone through it a few times now and we've seen the effect that it has on the company. And it's actually like profound. Like I think if I could do it all over again, we would have made those hires way earlier in the company. Yeah. Wow. How many, I forget how many engineers you had when you brought on John, but like how early is early, I guess, when you think about it now? Yeah, that's interesting. I think we should ask John, but I think when we brought him on, it was something along the lines of 15 engineers and now it's 35 or so. Nice. Double. So, yeah. 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 So it's more than doubled. And that's also a big deal because 35 starts to become its own ecology. <laughs> right. There's management layers inside of that. There's questions of time zones. There's questions of promotions and promoting managers to, or promoting people into becoming managers and bringing in senior managers and performance and all that kind of stuff. So performance reviews. So at this point, and frankly, actually, our engineering team was not that happy when John was brought in. They were, I think they were super excited about the mission. And I think that they were really like great people. It was like literally everything was perfect, except that we were not managing them properly. <laughs> and, you know, not because we were bad people, like we were not being mean, we were not changing the priorities every four seconds and stuff, but it's a skill and it requires a lot of thought. And when you have like three co-founders running around trying to solve every problem in the world and you're not giving this thing that's incredibly crucial to the company love, it's going to suffer just for lack of sunlight. And John was completely amazing. I mean, he just came in and just like within three months, it was like the end team was like thriving and happy. And now they, it's become this like recruiting machine because they're like, it's like 100% of the time people, I mean, 100% of the time, 
Several times I have heard interview candidates say the streamlit engineering interview process is the best I've ever been to. That's huge. Like better than Google, better than everything. I know. And it's so, I mean, it's like the best compliment. And I think it's, you know, there's a couple of reasons. One thing John told us to put a lot of effort into it and and we did. And so it actually became a thing. But the other reason is because like the fact that people were happy meant that it really was represented in the interview process. People were you like, feel I love all the people. Yeah, you can feel it. I love all the people. I It was so different from this other company. And it's just consistent feedback at this point. Wow, yeah, so that's beautiful. That could, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really amazing. It's really amazing. And I'm glad to hear you say that too. And it sounds like you've really come around too on like the role or how much real estate hiring takes up in your brain. I feel like we meet a lot of founders early who they think about building the product, they think about selling the product. They don't necessarily think about having to build the team around them to do those things. And uh, one of the cliches that we hear is that founders have to spend, you know, 50% of their time hiring. I guess how how true is that in your experience and how do you feel about that now? I think that it's a little bit less for me now because we're getting to be like 60 people and the hiring has become a machine a little bit. That being said, and I mean, in a good way, like it's become a process that's repeatable. I do meet every single hire for the last interview just to like make sure that they're a right cultural fit because we care about that. And also honestly, to give them the opportunity to ask me questions because I just think that's very fair. Like, you're signing up for something big and weird when you take a job and we never want to hire people who like want to leave in three months. Like that's ridiculous. So we want them to ask us tough questions and be thoughtful. I just love to hear their questions too. It's so interesting. Like what do they care about and all that kind of stuff. So that means that like I probably do a couple interviews a week now. So not that much. But in the beginning... Yeah, I mean, it was 10 interviews, 10 to 20 interviews a week, which could be like, each one of them is half an hour minimum. So that that starts to take up a lot of the day. Yeah, I mean, you're going anywhere from five to 10 hours, basically, at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And not just interviews, I mean, phone screens, like all that stuff. Like it was, at the very beginning, we didn't have any sort of like infrastructure. So it was just purely like, hey, this is a company called Streamlit. Like, my name's Adrian. That kind of thing, yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. There's no process. You're just going to meet me and our co-founders. And... Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so now that you have kind of reached this product market fit, I guess there's kind of uh, two questions. Maybe you can answer whichever one uh, kind of resonates with you. But now there's basically people who believe that culture is fully organic. You can kind of shepherd it. There's the group that believes more in kind of a social engineering maybe approach to culture. But as this starts to scale out kind of beyond where you're only doing maybe two interviews a week and you're kind of relying on the ecosystem around you to vet a lot of this stuff, how do you think about growth and kind of your um, the thesis of your culture and how like those things are yeah. you not always kind of in well, harmony? Yeah. Yeah. I have a perspective on this and because I was taught really well. And the person who taught me was John, our first executive who basically said, Adrian, you need to write down our values and here's why. Hmm. And I had always thought that values, like corporate values were kind of like this silly like checkbox that you did. So it was like, you know, do you have values? Yeah, we do. Check out this page. They're done. It's not that, it's just that I didn't realize that they actually have a very, very specific purpose and a very useful purpose if done right. And the purpose is exactly like kind of what we said earlier about like finding your tribe. Mm -hmm. What was the expression about your vibe and your tribe? Your vibe attracts your tribe. Your vibe attracts your tribe. Exactly. So 
just if you're going to attract your tribe, you got to dress like it. And, <laughs> and that's their value statement. So we went through a process of actually, it was really cool. Like just looking at people and situations that we thought really exemplified, like just what we love best about work and what we love best about, you know, when we work together and just like, there's this one guy named TC who he's just so chill and he's got such an, he's so smart and he's so chill. He's got like such an understated style. And like, literally like every fifth time I talk to him, it's like, Hey, Adrian, I was just going through the data and check out this weird thing I found, which is like, we like literally like when we went through the value exercise, we're like, everyone was like, that guy is what we're all about. How do we bottle up that? Like, I was just going through this data and check out this weird, cool thing I found. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, his name came up a hundred times. So we, like a treasure hunter or something. A treasure hunter. He also just thinks like the data is cool. I mean, like mm. for him, it would just be like, oh yeah, you know, whatever. 10 a.m., like drinking a cup of coffee on Sunday, just like flipping through a couple of data sets, checking yeah. a couple of things out. Casually, oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. And that's just, and also it's not just that. There's, there's, a, there's a question of fun and there's a question of, anyway, so, so we wrote them down and they're actually on our careers page. So streamlit.io slash careers, you can see all the values there. And then we said three things. When you hire, you evaluate according to these values. Mm-hmm. When you promote and when you give feedback, you give feedback according to these values. And when you give, when you're communicating on Slack, especially, mm. you point out when people are following the values. Wow. So if someone's like, yeah, we do like, hey, guess what announcement, like this new product feature launched or whatever it is, if it exemplifies, like one of our values is silly or nerdy, which just means like, like just have fun with this. Like, honestly, it's like this whole data science thing is so nerdy, right? Like just have fun. And like, you know, people who enter into computers, there is a nerdy aspect to it. So if someone has like, it kind of exemplifies that a little bit or like throws some emojis in that are like just priceless. Like we say, oh yeah, perfect. Really leaning into the quirkiness. Yeah. We're just like, ah, silly, you're nerdy, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, we celebrate it. And those three things, it's actually very concrete. It creates this flywheel and it works. It works. Like the people who come in are our tribe and it's actually predictable. And wow. then that's, that becomes self-reinforcing. And it's like, amazing. I cannot believe it worked as well as it did. Yeah, no, that's incredible. But it's your point. It like, it really shows how a lot of these things are like structural. You got to like build it into to the people, to the yeah. processes, yeah, all of yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah. I think you mentioned earlier, like the clarity that goes missing before yeah. you start taking those steps. Definitely. If you have a process or a structure that spits out clarity and conviction on the other side, you can kind of trust it to keep operating. Yep, yeah, exactly. Exactly. This is interesting too, because I imagine you and many of your co-founders kind of grew up professionally in the pre-COVID world. You're used to cultures of office space. How do you think about Streamlit? Is Streamlit kind of dedicated remote? How has that maybe changed hiring or like workplace culture? Yeah. Any kind of thoughts or opinions on this new world that we're living in with all that? Yeah. Yeah. So I would say that Streamlit is kind of, we are the the Gen Zs of hmm. this COVID completely remote world in the sense that actually we did have a year where we had offices, but for the most part, no company, I feel like starting from now or, or the whole generation of companies starting from now are just never going to have had an office ever. So we completely got rid of our office. We went full remote and we basically, our perspective was, you know what, we're not beholden to the past. We're just going to make this work. And so rather than being like, oh, remote, like you don't get to have random coffees with people. We were basically like, 
Remote is amazing. It has all these cool properties. We have employees living in Tennessee. We have employees living in Berlin. We have people who are moving out of the Bay Area and to New Jersey because they just wanted to live there. Like we have, we're giving our, our employees like incredible flexibility to also be with their spouses, to be in their proper biome mm-hmm. in terms of weather and altitude and stuff. And, and so then, so it's an amazing thing. And then we're going to just think about how do we systematically solve every so-called weakness of the remote world and bring it into the remote world. So we have like a little coffee bot that just says like, hey, you should have coffee with so-and-so, you know, it just pops up on Slack. So little things like that. So basically just view everything that you think is a problem with remote is actually not a problem. It's just, it's not a fatal flaw. It's like an engineering challenge. It's an opportunity. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Absolutely. Design challenges. Yeah. Yeah, we feel the same. I mean, we're fully remote at Build and and we talk about cool. all the time how like the real strength of what we do is the social fabric. And I'm sure extremely mm-hmm. too, like, mm-hmm. yeah, you got to be in the mm-hmm. code, but the magic of teamwork and, and what happens culturally is the social element for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We talked a little bit about like your renewed perspective around hiring or around even executive hiring, this idea around clarity and but I guess if you were talking to the Adrian at day zero of Streamlit, what are some yeah. of the gems, either you know, structurally, tactically, strategically, philosophically, what are things that you would kind of give to that Adrian to maybe accelerate or, yeah. or even improve? Yeah, so actually, it's really simple. This is a piece of advice that was given to me by the CEO of Confluent, which is a big, big software company. And I ended up having being at a dinner table next to him with a bunch of people. And he gave me this little nugget, which is just so true. So people, especially with execs, they're like, I don't want someone too fancy. I don't want, what if they change the ingredients in the soup? What if they're not hungry because they're soup, blah, blah, blah. So how do we, how do we conceptualize like who, what kind of level we want or whatever? So it's really simple. First, you set the bar. It has to be this good. If it's not this good, if it's not above this bar, if it's not just like a really great person, just forget it. Like at any level, it's not going to be worth it. So you say, this is like really great. We're only going to look above that. Then hire the most senior person you can. Who's that good? Hmm. Don't go down and be like, oh, well, it's less and it's more junior, blah, blah, blah. No. If you can't find, if your bar is like the VP of sales at Coca-Cola or whatever, and you can't find the VP, then maybe go down to director and then maybe go down. So never change the bar. But once the bar is set, go as high as you can. And the reason is because it's the value of not thinking. It's the value of being able to take a whole chunk of the business and put it in someone else's mind and let them run with it. And then they know a lot more than you anyway. Right. Like Literally, you're just going to be making 100x more decisions and better decisions than you possibly can. And you should like just accelerate that as much as possible. So, yeah. No, yeah, I think that's sharp too. Cause we deal with that too of like, yeah, where do you come in? Oh, my team's only 10. Do I really want a VP from this large a company? There is kind of a strange calculus. And then there's obviously the market will tell you kind of what you can uh, attract anyway. But yeah, no, I can see that. I can see that. Well, we we're at about five minutes. I do want to give you some time if there's any like shout outs about any hires that you want to shout for yourself, any visions for streamlets, kind of product features that are coming along things that you're excited about in your future with the company. Yeah. So first of all, shout out to John Rose, who is our VP of Eng still and just absolutely a member of our tribe. And thank you, Bill Todd, for helping us find him. 
And we're looking for head of sales. We're looking for, I think that's the main executive search right now. And then to the community of people who are using Streamlit like all over the world, just if we don't say it enough, it's just amazing to be able to have you guys and have you all excited about the product and using it and bringing back so much amazing stuff. And it just makes every day at Streamlit so fun. And so whenever you use Streamlit, you're not only like building cool apps and sharing data science insights with the world and and making pretty visualizations, you're also part of a community of people who are self-reinforcing and building this beautiful thing together. And that's just amazing. I love it. Uh, We are actually so thrilled both about John and about the success of Streamlit. We really appreciate you again for taking time to come and chat and share some of the wisdom. We started this show like four founders like yourself that are coming into those early stages of the business and not quite sure when to do what and what to do when, especially when it comes to hiring out their executive team, hiring out their leaders. So we appreciate you for their sake also of sharing some of what you learned and and your story. And hopefully it helps some founder out there who's trying to wrap their brain around this stuff. Perfect. Yeah, I really appreciate it. This was so much fun. Have a great day. You too, Adrian. Cheers. The Gradients is brought to you by Build Talent. To find out more about us, head to buildtalent.io and make sure to search for The Gradients in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Click follow so you don't miss out on any future episodes. And on behalf of everyone here at Build, thanks for listening.